This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. One of the first times I talked about grace uh, in my career was with a, a Catholic nun, and she had told me, uh, when I asked her, I said, you know, how do you define grace? She said, well, you know, I, I kind of think of it being like a fish in water, that a fish has water above it and below it and to the left or to the right of it, and the water keeps it buoyant, and that she kind of saw grace that way, that grace is, uh, is all around us. It is a dimensional word just like love, truth, and freedom, that when you're in a place of grace, that you are in that place of buoyancy. And I love that definition. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, it's, a really inter- it's a really interesting term, like mercy, like forgiveness, like uh, compassion. And a great deal of what we do on the ear, Irma, and if listeners are following me, they know that what I'm trying to do with the soul's intent is really to give people a much more pure kind of clean way to use these terms as they do their work. Uh, because we have a lot of confusion uh, with some of these terms because it gets convoluted with religion and, and that religious muckety muck, if you will. Um, so, um, so when you think of grace, Irma, uh, in your life and in your experience and in your work, how has grace presented itself to you? Well, um, you know, there's my personal experience, and then, um, but what I was doing when I was thinking about the show today, I, I looked at the definition of mercy and the definition of grace because the title of the show is Grace, not as favor, but time served, and I, I love how you bring mercy into that. I just, I had never heard that before until until you brought it to my attention. So when I looked up mercy, mercy is deliverance from judgment. Which, which to me would be a feeling of what I had usually called grace. And grace is extending mm-hmm. kindness to the unworthy. And that when, I, when yes. I saw that definition, that just didn't sit right with me. It just really <laughs> didn't sit right well, with that's me. Well, that's, yeah. that's because, yeah, that's because, Irma, in the, in the context that you're describing, uh, Grace is being de- being defined as divine favor that's undeserving. Right. That is the religious way to define grace. It, it is divine favor that you do not deserve, but yet you have it anyway. Um, mm. Like it's being something that like it's something it's given to you based upon behavior. And uh, when grace, like love and truth and freedom, is a dimension that you can choose to live inside of, mm-hmm. uh, and and. And, 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 and it's a sensation. You know, uh, we, did a, we did a film here last week. I think you just posted it last week on YouTube as I was talking about the sensation of love and truth and freedom. Uh, the sensation of grace is that feeling of buoyancy, that sensation of being light versus heavy. And the ego, mm-hmm. if, the fish, if, if the fish in the water that that, that, that Catholic nun, uh, and we didn't talk about it this way, but if that, but if that fish – had an ego, it would sink. <laughs> it would go, oh my gosh, I'm in water. Yeah, I'm in water, and it would sink. Its own weight would cause it to sink. And that's really what the ego does. The ego takes us away from grace because the ego is weighted 
with the burden of there's a right and a wrong way to be. Yeah, uh, and and because and because we're and, and because we're taught that um, we feel like that to be in grace we have to be in favor, and uh, and that's where it gets convoluted, it gets confusing. Well, yeah, because so, a person might not ever get to that place in their whole lifetime where they felt like they were worthy of the favor of, I guess, God. Mm-hmm. Well, and mm-hmm. so what I did when I was when I was trying to uh, plug this terminology into intentional guided evolution, when I was plugging it into what it means to be a gift of compassionate, when I was plugging it into the soul's intent, uh, I used a legal example uh, mm-hmm. of mercy because when you ask people when you ask people to define mercy, they usually cannot come up with a definition. They think it's they think it's um, forgiveness or it's compassion. They have a, it's, it's like they have part of the definition, but they don't have the whole definition of what mercy would be. And it's what you said at the beginning of the show, which was the uh, choosing not to judge mm-hmm. uh, yeah. somebody would be mercy. When, when, when you have the power to judge, that would be mercy. So what I did, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this was in a, in a uh, I was in a counseling hour with somebody, and we were talking about the definition of mercy, and they were struggling with it. So I said, well, the way I broke it down for me is um, if you went into a, a, a courtroom and you had two judges, one is a wrathful, unforgiving judge, and the other one is compassionate and forgiving – and you had your folder there that had your whole life story in it, and you want to have your life story revisited. You want to reopen the folder because you're serving this sentence of being out of favor. And so you want to understand how did that happen, so which judge would you go in and talk to? Well, 99% of the people said, well, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. I'd go into the compassionate judge, and then I'd say, well, then why are you going into your ego with your life and your circumstances because you're not going into the compassionate judge. And I said, now let me show you what that means. You go into the wrathful judge. He opens up your folder. He reads your life story and he says, go back to your cell and stop your whining and put your time in and serve your sentence. That's what the wrathful judge would say. (laughs) The compassionate judge would read that same folder and go, Oh my gosh, what has happened here, the punishment that you're enduring or that you're subjecting yourself to doesn't fit the crime, takes the gavel, hits the top of the bench, and says free for time served. What is that called in a court of law? In a court of law, that is called mercy. Mm-hmm. I love that example because, it's, because it really is much more clear, much more succinct in what it's, in what it's saying, and it points out that if given the choice – so many of us go to the wrathful judge. It's like a guy that I had in therapy this past week. We were talking about spiritual work, and when I said the word spiritual, he went religious. He goes, oh, I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that. And I said, oh, yeah, you do. You believe in the God of the Old Testament. Mm. And then he goes, well, yeah, well, yeah, now that you put it like that, I guess I kind of do. But he just kind of sloughed it off like it was like, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But he didn't realize what a big deal that is, that to say I don't believe in God and go, well, wait a minute, I guess I do. I believe in the wrathful judging God. He didn't see the significance of that 
But that is so mm. much what we do because we wow. go to the ego. We go to the ego when we are trying to forgive ourselves. We go to the ego when we're trying to love ourselves. We go to the ego for everything. And so mm-hmm. it's no surprise. It's no surprise the ego is not going to grant us any mercy at all. And so I thought that was kind of a, a profound example, and it's a much more cleaner example of mercy because it's, real, it's kind of like real life. You know, a lot of times when we talk about grace and love and truth and freedom, it's kind of like, how does that apply to real life? <laughs> you know, that all sounds wonderful, Ernie, but how does that apply to real life? And that's the problem that you think, Irma, with spiritual teachings in general, is, is that we, we throw out a lot of words and a lot of terms and a lot of ideas and concepts, but that we don't teach the people uh, how to incorporate that into their real lives. And, uh, well, and yeah, that's, it's that's the... Like, yeah, it's almost like developing a spiritual ego then, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. <laughs> when, when it's all, you, you call all it, words and, yeah. Well, uh-huh. I, I like your word. It's bypassing. It's, it's bypassing. Yeah. It's spiritual mm-hmm. bypassing. And, yeah, uh, yeah so... so uh, and, and a lot of people think that if they say the words or if they speak the words, that's, that that is the same thing as living the words. And it's not. And so just like, just like this guy that I had in, in, in counseling, it isn't enough to just sit there and say, well, okay, I guess I do believe in God and I believe in a wrathful judging God. And then it just kind of, then the conversation stops right there. It's like, well, wait a minute. What you just said is life-changing. Mm-hmm. Why are you making why Why are you making that choice when you have another choice? And uh, and and of course he doesn't have an answer. But the mm-hmm. but the the real answer I, I guess is that many of us are conditioned and kind of trained to believe that if we possess any divinity at all, which means any sacredness about us, that it is God given. And we barely deserve it, barely mm-hmm. deserve it, and that's and that's where it breaks down, I think. Uh, and so that 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 convoluted idea that there's a right and a wrong way to be uh, is is a moral kind of uh, take on it. When what we're trying to get to as human beings is an ethical view of the entire experience. And if you want to stay in my example with the courtroom, and the ethical view. The moral view would think that I have two choices that are opposing, polarize, and pick one. That's the Mm. moral view. The ethical view would be you step back from the courtroom and see that you have two choices and there is no polarization. You're not either or. You're both. You're both and. You see. And so the fact that we tend to, yeah, the fact that we tend to polarize is really kind of what the ego forces us to do because the ego only sees it two-dimensionally. It sees it in black and white. It doesn't see the whole picture. So the whole picture is we always have a choice of which God we're going to worship. Or mm-hmm. if, we, if we take it out of, the, out of the language of God and put it into spiritual language, we have a choice which organ of perception we're going to view our lives through. We can view our lives through the ego, the lens of the ego, and the lens of a broken spirit, which feels punished and, and feels like that, that it has had some form of injustice, or we could view our lives through the lens of the heart and the soul. That mm-hmm. choice is always there. And so that's the ethical view. 
the ethical view is to step back and see both choices simultaneously, and then you can see that when you have that, the ethical possibility is available to you. And this mm-hmm. is the hard part, stepping back, stepping, stepping back far enough to see that. Yeah, I could see where people would have a hard time with that because if you've lived, you know, your entire life into adulthood, and usually things start hitting at at middle age. Um, if right. you've lived your entire life into into uh, being an adult, holding on, kind of holding on to that. Um, moral view of right, wrong, I have to choose, polarization, and, and you've kind of held on tightly to that. If you get to a place where you're kind of willing to loosen your grip a little bit and you start to let go, it could feel like you're falling in a way. And and, and yeah. almost like that, that freedom of that could be, um, it's just unfamiliar, but it could feel scary. It's just unfamiliar. Yeah. And it could feel like I'm not well, sure I want to do this. I need to hold on to something. Well, it, I need to hold on. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, and and the interesting thing about that is what I just heard you say was falling. What the ego heard was failing, uh, because that is what uh, we, that's yeah. what we feel. Falling is falling is failing. Uh, wow. And so, and what are we and, and what are, and what are we failing at? You see. When we're, when we're trying to find grace in our lives, when we're trying to find the sacred in our lives, what are we failing at? And, and, and that's why we accept that definition. Well, it's, then it's just, you know, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve love or truth or freedom. Uh, and so it's almost like yeah. that we, we feel like that, it's, that we're kind of trained to believe that we need a straitjacket. Uh, and we should wear our, our belief system like a straitjacket because we cannot handle our freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because if we, if, if we are free, we're going to be just disgusting human beings, you see. And, uh, and we're not going to have that moral compass. And I, of course, right. know that's not, no, that's not true. You know that's not true. But it is a developmental process. You have to kind of graduate from life as a, as a failure uh, and, and the the opposite of failure would not be succeed. <laughs> the opposite of failure would be to just simply be. Yes. I'm yeah. either a, I'm either a failure or I'm not. You see, it isn't I'm either a failure mm-hmm. or I'm a success. It's it's either I'm a failure or I am not a failure. <laughs> and uh, and 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 yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? And and the and, then, and so getting to the yeah, and so guilt says, you know, I'm making mistakes. Shame says I am a mistake. Where is grace, you see, in those mm-hmm. two messages? And so many of us are walking around feeling like feeling like that we somehow have got to right all of our wrongs to be deserving of grace. We have to right. Yeah. We ha- and, and that's just not true. That's, that's not true. Yeah. We, we, might have to ri- we might have to right our wrongs to not feel guilty. We might have to heal our shame to feel love-worthy. But we're still deserving of love, truth, and freedom and grace if we don't. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Because, why? Because that, that would be like saying, if I say in the fish analogy, that yet make, change the water to oxygen – 
that would be like saying that we do not deserve to breathe. Unless we rid ourselves of our guilt. We are not worthy of breathing if if we do not uh, make ourselves love-worthy. And so you can see how crazy that is. I mean, it's it's such a block. It's such a block for lots of Lots of folks. What that brings up for me is that um, um, not breathing or not breathing fully brings up a a feeling of anxiety. And as you've shared with me Mm -hmm. in the past, which I loved also, that um, the ego's natural state is anxiety and the soul's natural state is joy. So if you're in anxiety, yeah, you would feel like you can't, can't get your breath for sure. Yeah, and what and, and of course what happens with anxiety with with anxiety that grows into into fear is is that we start becoming afraid of being afraid, mm-hmm. and we go to mm-hmm. the and we go to the ego. Imagine we walk into the ego and say, "Make me unafraid." The ego's response would be, "I don't know how." Yeah, uh, yeah, because the ego doesn't have a clue how to be unafraid. It's programmed mm-hmm. already to be to, to, to be afraid, and it's already been harmed or been bruised by its life experience. And so you can't go to the ego with that question. And so where do we go? Well, you know, it, we, we go to the observer. We go to the soul. We go to that intelligence that, that kind of orchestrates our lives for us to see what it is we need to see. The soul wants us to see there are two judges. And uh, there isn't just one judge, that there are two judges. And the soul wants us to see that the ethical choice would be, would be go to the judge that is going to serve the greater good. Go to the mm-hmm. judge that is, going to, that, that, that is going to heal you of your wounds and to allow you and grant you mercy that, that you absolutely mm-hmm. deserve. You see? And, um, yeah. But you can't go to the ego. So, and so, and so the, heart, the heart leads you to the courtroom. The heart is what's asking for the appeal, and mm. the soul is is what's giving you the the uh, the two poles simultaneously to say you're not either one or the other. You're both. Yes, you have guilt. Yes, you have shame. Yes, you've made mistakes, and yes, you've done things you're not proud of. But does the punishment fit the crime? This is the question. And and how long should the punishment be? Before your sentence well, has been has has been yeah. retracted, you see, and for most people, it's a lifetime. Well, or for most people, it's, it's in death. Yeah. Or or it's in death. Uh, My sentence yeah. will be death. Yeah. Now, isn't that bizarre? Mm-hmm. That we will yeah. we will you know will the, the final judgment will be in death. Mm. And and that again doesn't do much for the life you're in right now. You know, something you said, Ernie, you you talked about um, somewhere just a few minutes ago, you brought up belief system, having, you know, your belief system. Well, I'm just wondering how connected are our belief systems to the ego? Because what, where would you, right, because without our belief system, we would kind of enter a place of knowingness and more of experience than thinking our way through life by depending on our belief systems. We would be trusting more yeah. in, in our heart as heart and soul as our guide. Well, the interesting part about it to me, Irma, is we, we are, we, 
we are wanting recognition for the souls that we are. We are wanting recognition for the people that we are. Recognition means recognition. It means rethink. So mm. I said this to a client. I said this to a client today that that you have to get to a place where you are rethinking your external life and you are also simultaneously rethinking your inner life. And so it's a graduation process. You first rethink the external, which is all those beliefs that you're talking about, all the conditioning, mm-hmm. the culture, mm-hmm. all the things you're trying to trying to let go of. And you have to have to go inside and then rethink your internal world. And in the internal world, it's a totally different uh, scenario because in the external world, the courtroom is in your head. In the internal world, the organs of perception that are going to grant you mercy are available to you all the time. They're never off or never away. The heart mm-hmm. is always pointing toward the, the heart is always pointing towards your true north. It's always pointing towards the truth. And the heart would say that, my goodness, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. What's it going mm-hmm. to take for you to let yourself up off the mat? It's almost like, you know, some, if you're waiting for some external judge to set you free, it's not going to happen. It has to be an internal judge that's going to set you free. Mm-hmm. And, you get to, and, you, and you get to choose internally how long of a sentence you're going to impose on yourself for the guilt and the shame that you may be experiencing. And so, yeah, that's why you have to kind of go in. Well, rethinking is really the is really the, the the core of what the soul's intent wants to teach and what the soul's intent is about because the soul's intent as we talked about a couple of weeks ago or last week is is incarnation the soul's intent mm-hmm. is to be embodied and and what we are saying in these shows every week is how is it possible that you are here but you are not embodied yeah how is it possible that you are that you are alive and you are animated but yet you do not feel your aliveness. You do not feel your animation. How is that possible? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and, the only way, and, and the only way, of course, that it's possible is that you're in your head with it. You're totally in your head with yeah. it. And, yeah. uh, and so you have to get – got to, and, and, and in your head, the ego is the default compass. Right. And the default judge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was thinking today, Times. Mm-hmm. Your favorite? I was just going to say my favorite. My favorite word for all of this is is ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. True. It's ironic. So it, it, it's, it's, it's like I said, I, I told you this last week about the David White interview that I heard where he was asked yeah. about the human condition. He, and he said, well, you know, I've noticed that, that human beings are the only species on the planet that have the capacity to refuse and reject who they are. Yeah. And in the process... And, and in the process of becoming somebody else or something else, we forget who we were intended to be, which is an uh, incarnated soul. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Gosh, it's just so, so huge, so important. I was um, yeah, thinking I think so. today. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There, I don't know what's more important, really. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking today, times in my life that um, I personally experienced what what I would call grace, I guess, and I was at, uh, kind of reflecting back on those times, and I, and I kind of wish it was all the time, and 
maybe I'll have longer and longer times of, of being in um, what I would call grace. And in those times, I um, definitely the voice in my head, not, and, and there's my voice, there's my voice kind of um, that's following the guidance of my heart and soul. There's that voice, but then there's also lots of voices, loud voices. Of course. <laughs> and yeah, yes. yeah. And times that I've experienced grace, those loud voices weren't there. They weren't there at yeah. all. And and the peace and yep. the love and the harmony that it was just pure experience, pure beingness. And and the contrast of those times when I have that experience, it's like, wow, where where do I go when I'm not here? <laughs> I go back into the head, yeah, back and, into believing the voices, yeah. Which is which is kind of evidence that the sound of God's voice is silent. Oh yes. <laughs> Because that's what you're describing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Because grace, grace doesn't, grace doesn't exist. In fact, it evaporates in noise. It yeah. only will show up in silence. It'll only show up in silence, and that's and so. What are you trying to silence? And when you think that we think sixty thousand thoughts a day, which you know ninety eight percent the same stuff we thought the day before, and it's, so there's no room for any new thinking. We have to have moments when we are just silent. So that, mm-hmm. that that no voice silence can bring something else through, and that's something else that comes through is really an infusion, for lack of a better word, of your own incarnation. It's an infusion yeah, of like the energy that field. Word, that, yeah, yeah, I like that word. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, th- and that's that's why people say in, in therapy with me all the time, you know, I don't know what you did, but I feel energized. And uh, mm-hmm. all I did was get all I did was get them out of their head and in their body for just a brief moment. And in that moment of being in their body, they feel infused by the energy yeah. that is their own infusion. Yeah, and that's a big deal to get. Well, you know, something that, that came to me, and I know I've told this story on the air before, but it's always worth uh, telling these stories again because it's in a different context. You've you've heard me say that we all have a little kid behind us in the car. You have a, a six to twelve year old <laughs> yeah. Irma. That sits that sits behind the driver's seat, and it's and, and I've got a six to twelve year old Ernie that sits behind the driver's seat, and it's kicking in the back of the seat, and it's saying, "Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet?" And and I always ask people, "What are you saying to the kid in the back seat?" Well, invariably, what they tend to repeat to me is what was said to them by their caretakers and by their family, and uh, which is "Shut up, sh- you know, shut up, quit making so much noise. I'm trying to drive. Don't talk while I'm talking. Whatever it is that is said to you in that back seat." and that passenger position in your life. Um, and, and, I've, and I've said also that, you know, we know in fairy tales what happens when you kiss the frog. We all know that it turns into a prince. What we're not taught is what happens when you don't kiss the frog. It turns into an alligator. If you don't kiss the alligator, it turns into a dragon. So this, this little kid in the backseat shapeshifts into a shadow character, into a dark character. And so people always ask me, well, well Ernie, what does it want? It wants grace. Mm. It wants to be invited. It wants to be in favor. It's already been ridiculed. It's already been guilted. It's already been shamed. It wants to be invited into the front seat of that automobile and integrated to be part of your journey. And that's, and that's the whole concept of the inner child. That's what inner child work is. Inner child mm-hmm. work is literally inviting, inviting that kid into the front seat 
in, 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 in placing that child automatically in favor. Um, and, uh, and when you do and, and when you do that, and how many people say how many people say all the time that they that they love their children? And I always ask them, well, you know, do you believe that or do you know that? I always ask that question, and they go, what? I said, well, do you believe that you love your children, or do you know you love them? And they go, well, I know. I said, well, tell me how you know. And when they start to try to tell me, they can't find the words. I just mm. do. I just love my child. Well, imagine yeah. that 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 you bring your inner child into the front seat. And he's, he or she is looking you right in your eyes, and there are no words, just favor. Um, that, is, that, that literally is what, that's literally what grace would be, you see. And, and it isn't um, a coincidence that, that in that same moment, that child is experiencing a dimension of love, a dimension of truth, and a dimension of freedom. Because um, these words... These words to me are dimensional words, and I said to you once before on a video that we made that the words profane and mundane are proximity words to the temple. Uh, Mundane is outside the temple. Uh, I'm sorry, profane is outside the temple. Mundane is of the world, and sacred is inside the temple. So Um, that's what it would would mean in the context of a temple. Well, the temple, uh, of course, is the body. And that sacred piece of the body is the heart. So grace mm. and love and truth and freedom are proximity words to your own true compass. So, wow. so how, close, how, how close you are to your own heart's intent, how close you are to your own true north, is a proximity word. And so you don't want this, uh, this wounded child to be in the back seat because it is in a profane place you see it's mm-hmm. not it's not in a mundane place because it would be because if it was because if it, if it was mundane it would be outside the car and be in the world it's in a profane place uh, behind you and kicking the back of the seat and saying whatever it is that it's saying to try to get invited into a sacred place which is the front seat which is outside mm-hmm. of a profane place yeah yeah the closer yeah. Gets, and then the closer you do that gets, yeah. I was just going to say until, until you do that, you would you would feel a sense of division. You would feel divided. Hmm. Well, until you I, do I that, that child in the back. Yeah. Well, and not only do you feel divided, you fuel the shadow that's in the back seat mm-hmm. because that child mm-hmm. is a shapeshifter. We know this because of fairy tales. I mean, the. This, well, what do you mean by shapeshifter? I mean that if you do not love that part of you that you reject, you give it power and it changes shape. It turns oh. into it, it. It changes. It changes from uh, it changes from a little child in the back seat to uh, Jack the Ripper or Jekyll and Hyde. It turns into a shadow uh-huh. character in the back. Seat. And the, and the okay. more and the more because it, it, it it's doing that because it wants attention. So it'll shape shift into whatever it needs to shape shift to, for you to attend it. Now, the, the the people that know this very well are addicts, because what an addict will do is throw a joint into the back seat. Mm-hmm. An addict will throw Percocet or a Loratab or an Oxycontin into the back seat and tell the kid to shut up. So they'll feed their addiction, they'll feed the shadow, the drug, versus grant the child favor. You see, mm-hmm. and it isn't a coincidence. 
and, and, it's, and it's not a coincidence, Irma, and this is why I love the Eric Burns stuff, which is the, uh, the TA transactional analysis stuff uh, uh, that has to do with the inner child work is, is that if you, the, 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 the capacity in which you parent that child that's in the back seat of your life that is a younger version of you, that capacity trickles down to your real children. If you can't mm. parent that child, you're probably not doing a very good job at parenting your kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of and how many parents how many parents have you heard? I know I've heard parents. I'm trying to give my kid everything I didn't have. I'm trying to give them love and affection that I didn't have when I was a child. But if you're not parenting your own inner child the same way you're parenting that child, it's kind of artificial and it doesn't stick. Yeah. In fact, yeah. your your real your the, the your real child sees a discrepancy. If a real child was mature enough at five and six or eight or twelve years of age. Mom, Dad, why are you so much kinder to me than you are to yourself? Mm. You know, if a, mm-hmm. if, if, if a child was, was – or, or Mom, Dad, why is it that you treat me differently than you treat yourself? Uh, or why is it that you're inconsistent in how you treat me or in, in, in inconsistent in how you treat yourself? Children take us to task for that. There's nothing that, that challenges us as human beings spiritually any more than having a child. And being a parent mm-hmm. and recognizing yeah. that we are actually responsible for shaping a life. So, yeah. so I tell people all the time in, ther- in therapy, particularly when they're in the very beginning stages of doing spiritual work, you're leaving my office pregnant today. I say this to men and women. <laughs> <laughs> Even, you know, you're leaving my office pregnant today, you know, and, uh, and I want you to understand that you are uh, – you're, you're about to birth something inside of you that you think is ugly and disgusting, handicapped and deformed, but in actuality, it, it's not. Uh, but you determine how that child arrives into the world, and, you, ensure, and you, you determine if, in fact, the child gets to arrive into the world. And that labor mm-hmm. of birth is really, is really what spiritual work is. I love the words of birth. Mm-hmm. I love the, the words of, of uh, conception, gestation, uh, pregnancy, labor, and delivery. I love those words because they are yeah. spiritual words as well. They're very spiritual words. And you have to go mm-hmm. through that really kind of countless times. Uh, I, I guess if I was being technical, I think four times, four times in a lifetime, you have to be born again. Everybody talks in religion about being born again as if it's a one-time deal. Uh, technically, you've got to be born again about four times. You've got to go through – you've got to resolve that the, the issues that you have in adolescence. You have to then resolve the issues you're dragging into your young adult life. Then you have to resolve the issues that you haven't fixed into your midlife. And you certainly, before you die, have got to resolve the issues uh, that you haven't resolved at that particular chapter as well. So there is a, it's just a, it's just a constant um, uh, recovering of one's true self, true authenticity by death and rebirth of the ego. And that death and mm-hmm. rebirth happens in multiple times. And so they, they, they really are, are not pass fail kinds of tests. They're more initiations. And we have these initiations mm-hmm. all the time. That's what, that's what getting fired is. It's an initiation. That's what the death of a loved one is. It's an initiation. That's what a breakup or a divorce is. It's an initiation. It's not a pass-fail. It's an initiation yeah, into yeah. another level, of, another level of, of, of the work, so to speak. Yeah, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, so 
It does. It does. And and you're in the um, uh, process of of writing a. It it kind of seems like it's it's going to be a manual. You're you're calling it right yeah. now the wisdom series, and that title may change. But it it kind of seems like a, a manual for everything that we're talking about tonight, and much much more. Yeah, that's, I that's think I think that what what curious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of going to be kind of textbooky, I think, in that regard. Yes, and I think it's a it's a book about a psycho spiritual. Uh, journey uh, from death, I mean, from birth to death, <laughs> literally, it's going to cover mm-hmm. all the bases from birth to death. Uh, it's going to be talking about the developmental stages that, that we go through and the developmental stages that we must go through if we're going to evolve as human beings and become fully incarnate. Because that's the irony here is that the soul's intent is for us to arrive, and I say that it is a choice. When in fact you've already been embodied, you just haven't embraced it. And in mm-hmm. that, in embrace, embracing your own incarnation is a big deal. You know, uh, it's a very big deal. So yeah, it's going to be would, it's it's going to be a manual would, of it. Yeah, it's going to be a manual. Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I hate to say because a lot of people write three easy steps to getting to point A to point Z or three easy steps to love and success and whatever. This isn't uh, three easy steps. <laughs> this is this is a discussion of the human condition as it is uh, with all of its potential and all of its probabilities and how to do it awake. Uh, what what mm-hmm. struck me about working working with trauma patients is that we're not, we're not really taught how to suffer, and there actually is mm-hmm. – and say what we try to do is, 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 a, is avoid suffering at all costs. Well, if you get your legs cut off because of a trauma or you have your spinal cord ripped out because of an accident or a trauma, you don't really have a choice. You're, you're, you, you, you've got to suffer yourself through that. And so I'm saying to people that, that whatever it is you, that you've experienced in your life, you have a, a reserve inside of you that is made up of the blood, sweat, and tears of your life experience. In that reserve is your suffering. In that reserve is all the suffering you have to do. You don't have to do any more new suffering. This is what Eckhart Tolle is saying, but he's not saying it quite the same way. He's implying that there's no suffering that has to be – you can stop suffering right now. That's Mm -hmm. only half true. You've got to suffer with the suffering that you have endured, and you have to bring that – that that child, that inner child, if you will, uh, into the equation, that shadow piece into the equation and fix it and heal it because otherwise it's going to stay deformed. You cannot sidestep that. And so what mm-hmm. I'm trying to teach people is there's an, that, there's a, that there is a healthy way to suffer. And in fact, in fact, Irma, if I wanted to be more specific, there's, is, there's a healthy way to grieve. Yeah. Because... Yeah. The because the because the entire process, don't you think the the entire process of spiritual evolution is letting go and letting mm-hmm. go? I mean, how many times have you have you in your work? I know I certainly have had experience in my own work. I let go and I let go and I let go and I take a sigh of relief. Okay, I'm, I've arrived. I'm I'm done. And then I figure mm-hmm. out there's something else. I've got to let go of. There's still something else I have to let go of. Well, each time we do that, each time we we go through an experience of letting go, we are going through a grieving process. 
Yeah. And uh, and and because the the original grief that we experience as human beings is the loss of self. And 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 now in in the context of the soul's intent, loss of the realization that we are a hopeful expectation for the future, that we are incarnate, that we are embodied. And that and but how come we don't feel that we are, you see? Uh, yeah. that's the that's the rub. That's the rub. I mean, how is it that we don't feel our own incarnation? And the and of course the answer is is that, that at a very, very brief period around the age of three, uh, and from three to about six, three to about eight or nine, where the, the ego is just adapting and taking on all this conditioned stuff that's in the culture. And we kind of lose uh, uh, any conscious connection uh, to our soul and to our heart's mm-hmm. intent. And so what we end up doing is we substitute the ego as the default compass, and the heart kind of goes out of our awareness. And we make up that the heart's just a pump, you know, just pumps blood. It doesn't have any other function. But in actuality, the heart is the core of all of this um, mm-hmm. because it, 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 is always, it is always pointing towards the truth. It's always pointing towards mm-hmm. integrity, the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And until a person does this um, process of of grieving and letting go, and grieving and letting go, and and uh, get, arriving to a place of uh, feeling fully incarnated in in your physical in your physical form. Um, they they really wouldn't have lived their true life. They would have lived a programmed life of um, the collective ego, the personal ego, but not a true life of of their own. And that, that well, like I, I, said, I would hope that we find that out sooner, much <laughs> rather than later, because that would be a pretty sad thing to realize that you haven't been living your life. Well, it's like I said to that client today that uh, it isn't just enough to rethink your external life, rethink your job, rethink your vocation, rethink your spouse, uh, rethink your place in the world, rethink your passion, your, your avocations. It isn't just enough to rethink all these external things because you have to also rethink your internal life. If you only mm. rethink the outside world and you only rethink uh, – all these things in the external, then you're only living half of a life. Mm, the full life mm-hmm. is, an in, is, is an inside-out process, not an outside-in. And so it, since it's an inside-out process, all the time you're wasting in the outside world uh, and giving the ego charge because the ego is a great compass for the outside world, but in the internal world, it's blind. In the internal world, the ego is clueless until it awakens because it lives mm. in the past, doesn't it? Has no sense of uh, it has no sense of the present moment uh, until it awakens, and 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 by awakening, I mean until it gets present. And so, so this is this is again this business of rethinking, recognition, recognizing one's own incarnate soul is the process. And uh, oh, and, and so really, so so. Well, it, well, and so really, what the soul's intent is about is is rethinking the whole thing. So when I write this book that I'm doing, uh, I will have rethought it all <laughs> from the inside out, 
And the and the mm-hmm. beauty of it, Irma, is it isn't just it, it's not just coming from from Ernie and the world according to Ernie. It's coming from ten thousand patients who are in the in the deepest darkest despair. And and it's it's really me kind of sharing their re their rethinking mm-hmm. uh, and sharing sharing with the lay public what they rethought, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and 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 really kind of showing the lay public how these terms like grace and love and forgiveness and all these words that we throw around that they have a deeper definition and a deeper uh, correlation to your incarnation than you realize. If they're just words, then you're 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 missing the forest for the trees. It's it's literally like. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, if you're rethinking only in the external, it's analogous to going into a place to eat, and instead of ordering food, you eat the menu. And, and of course, when you eat the menu, it tastes like paper, and there's no nourishment <laughs> in the paper. <laughs> so so that's, all you get. that's all you get in the outside world. If you just rethink the external, you're, gonna, you're just essentially just rethinking the menu. Yeah. What I'm sharing yeah. with pe- what I'm sharing with people is the nourishment of rethinking. And the nourishment of rethinking your place in the universe, your place in this existence, your place in your own incarnation, that rethinking is as spiritual as it gets. And mm-hmm. it, and it literally is saying it, it literally is saying, you know, that phrase that people say all the time, I'm either a human being having spiritual experiences or I'm a spiritual being having human experiences. Well, the soul's intent is teaching the latter. You are a spiritual mm-hmm. being having human experiences. You're yeah. not gonna figure out you're not you're not gonna figure out who that spiritual being is, what that incarnated soul is, until you begin to rethink your inner life. And that's the point. That is the point. Mm-hmm. That is the whole core of what it is that I want people to get, and it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah, and what you saw coming through the, those 10,000 patients, you saw the soul's intent coming through each one of them, and the soul's intent for each one of them was to um, bring them into the dimension of love, truth, and freedom. Would, would you, yeah, if would you, you say, to, yeah? Yes, yeah, and if you want to say it even in a different way, if, if – um, if, pro, if profane and mundane and sacred are proximity words to the temple, then I was allowed to sit in a sacred place. Yeah. As these people were, as these people were deciphering mundane and profane. Mm-hmm. And so I was allowed. I was allowed to sit there. I was privileged to sit with them as they were deciphering uh, the sacred. And whether or not they were going to give the sacred station in their lives, and and I will tell you, and I will tell you that the ones that did uh, grew in leaps and bounds, and, mm-hmm. and many of them said, many of them said. I mean, I, I had a gentleman drive in a wheelchair with a pencil because he's paralyzed from the neck down, and before he became paralyzed, uh, he was. Uh, uh, he was an engineer or he was a construction worker or something, something that he had to use his body for. Now he was in this wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down, and I, I saw him go off and become a lawyer, a teacher, a counselor. It didn't stop him yeah. because, oh, wow. because he moved. He got to the realization that I am so much more than my body. 
and that and that realization and, and what is the so much more you see with the so much more as an incarnate soul that's what's so much more yeah, an incarnate soul that, and is capable of anything absolutely mm-hmm. we used to have um, we used to have an assembly at the rehabilitation hospital that I worked at and the governor would come into the state of West Virginia and there wasn't a dry eye in the house when we got done with the ceremony because we were giving awards to a client of the year and the client of mm-hmm. the year was the guy in the wheelchair with a pencil where it was a blind person who had literally turned their lives around and they were more here, more present, more alive than they ever were before their disability. And so my question mm-hmm. as a young man when I, when I first started this is, wow, do we have to have a tree fall on us? Do we have to lose our legs? Do we have to lose our spinal cord to see that we are so much more than the human ego? And I, of course, yeah. kind of answered my question. I answered my own question, and I began to develop what I called inner scape, which is what I give people, is I can give people a, a internal picture of, their, of the landscape of their inner lives. That's a big deal to have. It's like a roadmap. It's like, a, it's like being able to find your way through a maze that you didn't have mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And, and, it, yeah. and it's inside you. Yeah. And you've got to be oh, wowed yeah. by the intelligence. You got to be wowed by the mm-hmm. intelligence that's guiding, guiding that 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 trauma patient. That same intelligence that's guiding me to guide that trauma patient. What intelligence is that? It certainly isn't the brain. Mm-hmm. It would be the soul. Yeah, it's the yeah. soul. And so, so, so like we've said before, uh, I, I know we've said this on other shows, but um, people hear all the time that we only use such a small portion of our brain. Well, they don't realize what small portion that the experts are referring to, what they're saying is we only use the left hemisphere of the brain because we mm-hmm. live on the left side of the brain. And that's where the ego resides. If the ego had a physical location, it would be in the left hemisphere of your brain. But what's on the right side? Well, the right side of the brain sees the larger picture. The right side of the brain is directly connected to symbology and metaphor and analogy. Mm-hmm. It's the, the right side of the brain speaks in the language of the soul. The left side of the brain speaks in the language of the ego. And yeah. so mm-hmm. not, a coincidence, not a coincidence that you want to become whole-brained, right? So, yeah, right. So, right. So, so, so if we're saying that we only use a small portion of our brain, add the soul to that equation and say we are using a microcosm of our intelligence. We are using a microcosm of our intelligence because we're, we're not only are we trapped in the left hemisphere of the brain and in the ego's uh, you know, take on this, we are cutting ourselves off from an intelligence that far exceeds the brain. Well, and, right. it's, and it's connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say, gonna in say? a way... Until we go through this, this spiritual process, this, this spiritual awakening, and as long as we're letting the ego kind of lead the way, in a way we all have the disability of blindness because it is yes. a kind of blindness. Yeah. Yes, we're, we're, we're all handicapped. Yes, I, mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that's the word. And there's a difference between handi- handicap and disability. If, if a model uh, was in a car accident and she scarred her face, she would be handicapped, but she would not be disabled. Why is she handicapped? Mm-hmm. She can no longer be a model. She's yeah, handicapped from modern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's not but she's not disabled. There's a there's a there's a distinction. So yeah, we 
we are uh, handicapped. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we are living in a, we are living we are living in, we are living in a wheelchair in our head. Absolutely, we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the and the human and and the human shadow is really kind of what's driving the wheelchair. Sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something you had in your paragraph in in the opening, and I don't know if you got to it when you when you read read the opening or or said the opening, um, but I thought it was important. And it's just one line that says, while we're debating the God questions, we are failing to save us from ourselves. Yes, yes. yes. I, I thought that yeah, was a really, what, really important yeah, line there. Yeah, yeah and, and, and what I find, and what I find ironic, again, that's my favorite word, what I find ironic about that is the reason that, you know, the, 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 the question is that we have been posing as human beings for centuries, since the beginning of time, why do human beings suffer? Well, we're asking that question to God, mm-hmm. and that's a God question. We should be asking ourselves, why yeah. do we suffer? Because the answer to the God question is only God knows, and it's not for us to ask God, you see. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. to ask ourselves. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we suffer? And what I am teaching in the in the soul's intent is uh, to self-correct. Yeah. Self-correct what? Self-correct means that we get out of our head, get in our body, so we can feel filled up, literally, by our full incarnation, so we can feel the soul's embodiment. So, uh, yeah. so that. That's 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 the key there. That uh, that that process is is necessary. So human beings suffer. We say all the time, things happen for a reason. My teaching is giving you the reason. I have an answer for mm-hmm. the why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and 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 what we're told sadly is we're not allowed to ask why. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. that that. And the reason that we don't feel like we're allowed to ask why is because we're posing the question to God. So my, my challenge uh, is to say to people, well, we don't want to get into a God debate. We don't want to get into a God discussion. So let's just, let's just ask the question to another human being. Why do you think human beings suffer? What would a human mm-hmm. being answer be? Just, just to be a victim? Are we suffering to just be victims? Is that the reason you see? And uh, mm-hmm. and we know in in spiritual work that the that the path to joy is through suffering. Uh, you're not going to get to joy. Yeah, you're not going to get to joy without suffering. And happiness yeah, you is an you organ. Cannot bypass it. <laughs> cannot. Oh, I missed yeah. that. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? I said in happy. I said in happiness is an orgasm. I didn't actually say that. I think I think uh, somebody else said that. But I like that line because it's very true. <laughs> which means that happiness is, is is a temporary sensation. Joy oh. is something that is that that endures and lasts. I mean, you can carry joy into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday of your week. You can't tend to carry an orgasm into Thursday if you had it on Monday. This is the, mm. this is the trouble with happiness. It, it, Happiness doesn't have any longevity to it, and 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 and, and happiness is the ego, and uh, and that's and that's the problem you see. But people are just people are saying, you know, I want to be happy, I want to be or have happiness in my life, uh, not understanding that happiness evaporates very oh, quickly. Yeah. yeah. And that's why and yeah. that's why happiness that's why happiness for so many is elusive because of that well, evaporation. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, but we the, live the joy in doesn't. a joy doesn't. Yeah, but we live in a society hmm. that kind of um, um, condones the pursuit of happiness. But the problem with the pursuit of happiness is you're always pursuing, and you never arrive. And that's what the soul's intent is all about: arrival. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And The Soul's Intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. 